0: It's episode 317 of Crack the Customer Code, and even our small talk is customer-centric.
1: Adam, do you think we do enough good with this podcast? Uh, By
0: we, who does that include?
1: Uh, Well, since you and I do the podcast, I was kind of thinking of, I don't know, (laughs) you, Adam, and me, Jeannie. Do you think we do enough good with the podcast?
0: I absolutely do because my sincere belief is that anytime you improve customer service or customer experience, you are by definition doing good because yes. it is making people's lives better. You're changing people's lives or in the case of 360 Connect, you're having fewer ruined days.
1: Nice. Nice. Right? I, I, right. got, I
0: got your tagline in there. <laughs> Booyah.
1: That's our mission to create fewer mission, ruined days for customers. Yes. Yes. So I agree with you, but I think there's a big world out there now where people are talking about how corporate citizens of the world and organizations in general, what's their role in doing good for the world and not just for, you know, their piece of the world, but the world in general. And what does that look like? And how can you do that and still balance profit? And how can you actually do that and stand by a cause that maybe doesn't have a hundred percent agreement with everybody I mean with the exception of I don't know bunnies are cute <laughs> we don't agree on much <laughs> in in the world so these are some of the questions we tackled today with Ann Barr Thompson who wrote the book do Good and it's an interesting conversation I hope it sparks people's you know questions about their own organization absolutely well let's hear about Ann, Jeannie Ann Barr Thompson has been inspiring business leaders to use their brands as a motivating force for change for many years. With more than 25 years of experience as a global brand strategist, Ann is the author of Do Good, which explains her pioneering model of brand citizenship and the cultural dynamics that led to the creation of the model a former executive director of strategy and planning, and the head of consulting at Interbrand, the world's leading brand consultancy, and is the founder of 164th, a boutique consultancy that helps companies align purpose and profit by integrating cultural shifts and a social conscience into brand development.
0: And welcome to the show. So glad to have you.
1: Oh, glad to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you here. So thank you again for joining us. And I just love the idea and the title of your book, which is so profoundly simple and yet so complicated, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> because if, if it were simple, everybody would be doing it. But the title of your book is simply Do Good, and it's embracing brand citizenship to fuel both purpose and profits. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that simple idea of do good. So do good is a call
2: to action. Um, It's the idea of asking companies to step up and see themselves as responsible, as active citizens. And the notion of businesses' responsibility to society is not new. It's heightened at the moment for various factors that we might get into. Um, But it's something that's been debated for decades, if not centuries. Um, So the notion of doing good is an ethos. And it's an ethos, I believe, that should run across every aspect of a company's operation. It's not a one-time attention-getting effort. It's not something dedicated to a single department. It's something that everybody in the company should believe in. And that starts with actually a company building a culture of trust. Um, What's interesting is, uh, as a brand strategist, I spend a lot of time with dictionaries. And if you look up the phrase do good in the dictionary, it means to act virtuously, to do Mm. things with high moral standards, especially by helping others or to make a helpful contribution to a situation. So it's not necessarily, you know, how people think of doing good as, you know, sort of a Pollyannish idea. It's about having high ethical and moral standards. And I think we're at a moment in time where people are really asking businesses to step back and think about this. Um, The other thing that's really important is that activities that People have characterized as doing good over the years have typically been seen or often been seen um, as costs of doing business. Um, Mm -hmm. What my research confirmed and what many others since I've done my research and alongside the time period I was doing my research, such as McKinsey, um, EY, BCG, and a variety of other pretty reputable management consultancies have shown, is that investing into your business and in the sense of doing good, in the sense of being socially responsible, strengthens your reputations. It wins more loyal customers and employees. And what these management consultancies have shown in multitude of studies, it increases your profits. And in some way, the long term insulates your share price. Not necessarily the short term, and that's the big difference. So, but over the long term, You have a faster bounce back.
0: So we have to find uh, corporate leaders of public companies that are willing to look at the long term. So we've got a hurdle already. Oh
2: no, but it's a hurdle that's being being overcome more and more every day. When you have investors like Larry Fink of, of BlackRock and Jamie Dimon of JPMC, JPMorgan Chase, saying that actually being socially responsible is good for business, Focusing on the long-term is good for business. It's good for the economy because of the investment it puts. As investors start calling for this, more and more CEOs actually are freed to do it because a lot of CEOs want to do it. They just don't know how, and their board doesn't always give them the leeway because of shareholder demands. But as investors start demanding it, that's shareholders. So more and more people step up. Yep, exactly.
0: Well, exactly. That's that's where it has to start. <laughs> Right. Because, yeah, that's, that, that's where the pressure comes from for the short-term profits and the quarterly earnings. And so, yeah, it's great. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of trust. Uh, and we, It's an idea we've talked about in a lot of different ways on the podcast, but you identify a few characteristics about how brands earn trust. So maybe tell us one of the most important or one or two most important characteristics, you think, to a brand trust.
2: So before I do that, I do want to say one thing that's really important. The notion of brand citizenship, which is an ethos, as I said, that runs across a company and they, in the same way doing good does, um, begins with trust. And one of the things that's really important about that is historically, people in advertising and reputation management and in various um, related fields have thought of trust as the end game, not the starting point. So it's really great that you all are talking about trust a lot because trust is really hard to gain today because people are really savvy. Um, You know, people are cynical and we're always looking for catching companies out and finding what companies are doing wrong, often more so in recognizing in a bigger way what companies are doing right. So um, building trust is rather complicated and not as easy as we'd like to think it is. It's not just about communications. It's about delivering on what you do every time. There's five steps to building trust that we identified, and I'll then answer your question to tell you which one I think is the most important. Um, They're clarity, reliability, sincerity, reciprocity, and active listening. And whilst as as a set, they are really all important, and individually they're each important, To me, one of the most essential ones is this notion of reciprocity, the notion of giving to give, not to get. Because so much of what businesses throw at us, we're sort of suspicious. What are they, you know, what's the end game? What are they really looking for from me? And the notion of just giving of yourself freely is really important to foster trust. And businesses can do that in a multitude of ways. Digital is like an amazing opportunity, um, for people to offer things that enrich people's lives that are connected to their products and services, but not necessarily their product and service. So I think this notion of of giving to give is the most important. And if we put it in the context of our daily lives, think about your friends you trust the most. They're the ones you can count on all the time, and they're the ones that give on give of themselves freely to you without asking you to give something back mm-hmm. each time in return.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's interesting thinking about how, you know, we have to explain that a little bit about how to earn that trust. Um, but the more we talk about it, the better that will be. And and to, I'm just thinking about like today's climate, today's environment, um, both socially and from a corporate perspective and everything else. I mean, some of the causes that you talk about that really are the ways that uh, corporate citizens do good, um, they have to kind of walk a fine line, don't they, between not getting too far into political things that could be divisive, but at the same time being sincere and authentic about the causes they support. So I'm just curious, what? how do the best brands really do this successfully, especially in light of how heightened everything is in today's world?
2: So it's a really interesting question, and one that clearly has been thrown at me a lot over the past few weeks, given um, what's been Mm -hmm. going on since um, Parkland's school shooting. Um, What you have to do is step back and and recognize that taking a public stand by nature is polarizing. There's no way to get around that. Everybody Mm -hmm. defines good in a different way, and that's what a lot of this debate is about. You know, Uh, Gun control is good for some people, and for other people, they see it as this constitutional right without any leeway in there. Um, But in a social world, declaring your position really places you in control of your own reputation, of your own story. If you remain silent, especially as a big brand, someone's going to create the story for you. And you see that many of the companies that have responded in light of the Parkland crisis have done so because of customer pressure on social media. Now, it would would have been amazing if someone did it before the crisis happened, you know, and took a stand before it, but it is a response, and it's a response they've thought about carefully, and it's one that they have to live up to in every way. You know, you talk about sincerity, and I like to use the word sincerity more than authenticity because in today's world, we all contrive, or as someone recently said to me in a much more positive manner, we all curate our own authenticity. And so that's why we're suspect of companies and their authentic stories. And what I learned in my research was, people are willing to accept a quote unquote, slightly curated authentic story if they connect with its values. And that relates to this whole notion of stepping up for a cause. If people connect with your values and the reason you're doing it, if you're doing it in a sincere manner and it were policies, and the way you behave in your day-to-day interactions with your employees, with your vendors, et cetera, with your customers, um, you can curate your stance. If it doesn't reflect how you behave, you're in deep trouble (laughs) because it has to really be in Mm -hmm. alignment. And, you know, like a sincere person, a, 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 a sincere brand openly shares its point of view on the world. And taking a stance is your point of view on the world. But you don't aggrandize yourself or take advantage of the latest news cycle in doing so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those mm-hmm. that, p- brands that take stances before news cycles or before tragedy, I should say, um, will be touted more as leaders than those who do it as an after effect. Um, What's important Mm -hmm. is how this is an evolving dynamic at the moment, or dynamic is naturally evolving, but, but the dynamic of the whole situation. When I first uncovered that people wanted businesses to step in and start helping to solve problems that government wasn't dealing with was back in 2011. It was a different election year. But it was a polarized election year by no means as polarized as the last election but that's when we first started hearing this and people were just asking business to step in and i don't mean just because it's a bigger than a just doing this clearly but people were asking business to step in and take stances on civil liberties and social justice as environmental regulations turned back people wanted businesses to take more larger stances on the environment. It's not just about your sustainability plan or your ethical supply chain. They wanted you to step up and actually take a stance on it. And you've seen that done um, with the, the Paris Climate Accord. The people have signed Bloomberg's letter and stepped up aside governors and other politicians, even though it's not the federal government. But what's been happening more and more is with each issue, what people are giving companies permission to step into is growing more and more and gun control is much more political than a civil liberty in many ways, although many people who are pro-gun control associate gun control with civil liberty. So maybe it's just the next step. I think the other thing that's slightly important when we step back and look at this and say, well, is this really the place for business? If you think about how companies have targeted their customers, you know, you started off with the notion of targeting people based on their demographics, their age, their income, their uh, schooling, et cetera. And then you moved to psychographics, and then they put psychographics on steroids, and we started looking at lifestyle. Well, what's after lifestyle? Ideology. Mm. So it may just be that the current political climate has accelerated something that was going to naturally happen anyway.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to think about there, isn't there?
2: <laughs> there is. And, and, and we do have to emphasize the point you made about the sincerity, because imagine if someone who just stepped up and pulled out of... Um, their ties with the NRA, it was suddenly uncovered that they had a large part of their pension fund right. you know, invested in gun manufacturer. Well, that would really yes. create some dissonance. Yes. And
1: I think that that's the type of information that we all have access to now that we didn't necessarily 20, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's fascinating to think about how what was status quo um, as far as we're just going to do our thing and we don't have to get involved in these issues. We don't have to take a stand. That's not where we are today. And so some of these companies that have been around a long time, this is, this is a big change for them. And it's it's cool to watch what some of them are doing. And it's painful to watch the missteps of some of them. So it's a, it's a really interesting uh, idea to kind of unpack.
2: And I would say that what I would ask people to do, if a company is sincerely trying to change and move forward, we need to, in some ways, forgive them of the missteps, as long as they're not purposeful and, you know, done with complete negligence, because people are learning this new equation. And if we don't give them some leeway to experiment, it won't happen. If everyone's scared of taking and never takes the risk, we will never evolve. Hmm.
0: Well, yeah, and that's you know that's what's been most interesting to me. I think in this past few weeks, of course, but really the past few years, is you know if you sell oatmeal, you just want to sell oatmeal, right? You don't you don't want to get into deep social issues. You don't want to be forced to take a stand. And I, I don't I can't remember what company it is, and maybe uh, you'll know, Anne. Uh, there was a company that uh, severed ties with the NRA, and their uh, claim was we actually just want to get out of the conversation.
2: Oh, that I didn't know. I'll have to look that one yeah, up they, when
0: we're they, Yeah, they got, they got, you know, uh, taken uh, to the mattresses a little bit by uh, people that didn't agree with the decision. And they were just like, we just want it out of this. We, we don't want to be anywhere near this issue. We want to just do our business. And I, I'm sorry, I forget who it is right now. So, and so that's a question I have for you. Cause you know, we're talking a lot about purpose and doing good as, as you say, and How about the companies that just want to, you know, sell oatmeal?
2: (laughs) Well, you may just want to sell oatmeal, but you have the opportunity to choose who you buy or who you source your product from.
0: Okay, that's good. Do you
2: want to source it from someone that uses massive amounts of pesticides? Do you want to source it from someone who uses GMO? Um, Do you want to source it from someone who coats them to make them crispier so uh, they're not gluten-free? You know, you have a variety of choices. And all of that goes into doing good. And I would say one of the biggest places you have the choice to do good is how you treat your employees. And so no matter how big or small you are, stepping back and being fair and treating your employees well is a decision every business has to make. And in reality, that's one of the most important businesses or business decisions you will make. Um, in terms of actually earning a profit, because more loyal employees produce better. And if you look back, I said, you know, the notion of um, business's role in society is not new. You look back to the, the turning of the industrial era, from the 1800s to the 1900s, and massive business titan industrialists realized that happy employees were more productive employees. Employees that were healthy were more productive. So. You know, if you just want to think of it on a simple way, building a corporate culture that's about trust will actually make you more profitable on the long term, no matter what you're doing. And clearly there's other ways to expand out from that. But that's the simplest way. If you want an argument, to me, that's the biggest, simplest argument for any business to start embracing mm-hmm. the notion of doing good.
1: Well, we certainly support that because we talk a lot about how, you know, employee experience certainly supports great customer experience, too. So it's a win-win-win-win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm.
2: I agree. You <laughs> must have read and, one of my pieces. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, I think we can agree that we all want to do good, which is awesome. So I I love this topic. You have so much in the book. Uh, where can people really learn more about you and how can they find you in the book and all of those good things?
2: Um, So the book is available um, on Amazon at Barnes & Noble, um, IndieBound, a variety of other places. Um, I think I've even seen it on Target online and stuff. So it's physically available in a store and it's also available online. You can learn more about me and Brand Citizenship and more details of the book um, at brandcitizenship.com. Um, which is easy to spell. My company name, 164th, which is the fraction spelt out, which also is a dot .com, is a little harder to find. So brandcitizenship.com <laughs> is the easier place to go. Um, my Twitter is at AnnBT. I'm on LinkedIn, Ann with an E, Bar B-A-H-R, and Thompson with an H and a P. Um, and that's a good starting place. And if you find my email address and email me or call me, I respond to everybody.
1: Excellent. Well, and we'll have all of that in the show notes, so we'll make sure that you know all those things are outlined. And uh, I encourage everybody to read the book and not just read it, but actually do the good. How's that? That
2: sounds good <laughs> to me. I, I I hope everyone who listens joins the movement because it's accelerating and it's really important.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank well, you so much, Anna. It was fantastic, and you did good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you, Anne. Uh, thank you. Well, those are some big questions. and I think it's really important that our listeners go back and really ask what are they doing and how are they comfortable with it? And, you know, Anne had some great insights. So I hope everybody takes away from this ways that they themselves can do good in the world.
0: Do good. Crack the coders. We still need a good name for our community. that's
1: that's true. Code crackers.
0: That could work. We could do that. Code crackers, go forth and do good.
1: <laughs> Crack the code <laughs> of do, doing good <laughs> or something. And now, now, okay, we've lost the thread again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining us and for listening to Crack the Customer Code. As you know, we are a proud member of the C Suite Radio family. So check out business content on C Suite Radio.com and C Suite TV.com. If you like what you hear, we always appreciate your ratings, reviews, and shares on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and find my blog and other customer experience content at cxcontent.com.
0: And I'm Adam DePork, and you can learn more about me, our customer service workshops and training, and our virtual training at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.